0: We began looking at this title, What the Potter Can Do with the Clay, a couple of days ago. We continue with that look next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard as our series out of Romans continues. Israel's past, present, and future. Right in the middle of all this, is a clear understanding of just how sovereign God really is. What the potter can do with the clay. Hi and welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We're in Romans chapter 9 verses 1 through 29 today as we take another look at the potter, God, and us as clay and what it is God does with us. The illustration is found in Israel's past as well. Join us. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now with today's program let us pick up
1: what he's saying and I think do this for me today let God be his own defender let God explain himself he anticipates our problems and our tensions with his doing but let us do our best to give him a fair hearing is that fair just to hear him he is saying this, to just to give a little review. He's explaining the Jewish problem in light of the gospel. Why are not all the Jews fleeing uh, Judaism and running to Christ to be saved? And uh, with all their privileges as a chosen people, why are they not uh, just wholeheartedly embracing Christ? And he begins to explain that uh, We're saved by grace and not by race. It doesn't, being Jewish doesn't make you saved. You're saved by grace, not by race. And so he's saying being Jewish doesn't guarantee heaven for you any more than being Gentile. But of course, he's dealing with that Jewish problem. Then he says, let me illustrate to you that just being a physical descendant of Abraham doesn't mean you know God, and that you are in the promised line. And he begins to talk about God's sovereign choices in the patriarchal families. He said with Abraham, he had a child by Hagar, Ishmael. Was he in the promised line? No. God wanted the promised line to go through Sarah and in the birth of Isaac. God's divine choice. That's the way he wanted it. That's patriarchal history. Every Jew would know that. Then we go to the next line in the family tree, and we go to Isaac, and he and Rebekah have a set of twins. And when they are to be born, God said that the younger would rule over the older, and so God made a choice again. I'm going to take the line through Jacob and not through Esau, okay? So once again, a divine prerogative uh, not according to the custom of the day. The older was always in the place of double blessing, but he chooses Jacob. Now, then he makes this quote in the argument of Malachi one thirteen, and he says, For Jacob I have loved, Esau have I hated, being interpreted this way. Not that he had this uh, uh, emotional kind of hate toward him, but the hate was measured this way. Jacob I loved, so I made him the promised seed, the promised line. I did not choose Esau in that line. I blessed the descendants of Esau, I blessed him personally, all kinds of blessing, but the hate was simply measured. He was not my choice for the promised seed to come through. Now, having said that, he anticipates outrage. He anticipates the human heart saying, I want to take this on. Now, let me, before we say, he didn't write just chapter 9. He did write chapter 10, the Spirit of God. And chapter 10 is going to lean heavily on human responsibility. Because here is the issue. If God is sovereign, that means we're robots. Not true at all. God didn't make us to be robots. He made us with wills. He made us with the power of choice. And uh, when we come to these two truths, God's divine sovereignty in history and in salvation and human responsibility, I believe that J.I. Packer maybe said it as well as anyone to alleviate the tensions that are never resolved uh, completely. As uh, he calls these two truths antinomies. And antinomies are two truths that seem to contradict each other and cancel out each other. And the way Packer illustrates it in his little book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, he says it's antinomy. It's two truths that are intention, divine prerogative, divine sovereignty, along with human responsibility. And they're both run right through the Bible. We are responsible for what we do with this God. This God is sovereign in what he does with us. Antinomy, Packer illustrates, as these truths run out, he made the comparison of looking down a railroad track. And I'm sure you can remember that at one point, as those railroad tracks run together, there's a point out there in which they merge. And they seem to be one, if you look down far enough. And he's saying, right now, we see the tensions of these truths. But at some point in God, they both harmonize They both come together completely. And so Paul is going to pick up the Jewish lostness and the Gentile lostness at the end of chapter 9. They're carried all the way through 10. They are rejecting the gospel. Let me say this to you. The only way you'll ever know if you've been chosen by God is if you believe the gospel. That's the only thing you get. Did you believe the gospel? Do you receive Christ? As long as you say no, you can just count on the fact it would matter what else that happened. You would never know that you're a Christian and you would not be a Christian. So don't just go to say, there were three views, by the way. And then I'm going to look at the text. Josephus says during the time of Christ, there were three views on human responsibility and divine sovereignty. Now, this is before Arminius. This is before Calvin. This is before all of us wise acres have figured it out. No one's figured it out to everyone's satisfaction. No one. If you only knew how much ink has been poured trying to take the views. They had three different groups among Israel. The Essenes, who probably died at Masada. You had the Sadducees. And you had the Pharisees. The Pharisees would be what we would call the Calvinists. They said, everything's determined and that's just the way it's going to be. Then you had... The Sadducees who said, no, it's all dependent on us and we're saved or we're chosen because we're better. And then you had the Essenes among the Jews who were just outright fatalist. He said, everything's been determined. What will be, will be. So let's not worry about being good, bad, or indifferent. It's just all prefixed. There's no need of even being involved. And we have the same kind of tensions here. But let's just look at the word. Let God say what he wants to say and uh, ask God for us to adjust. Let me say three things by introduction, just these three points that will help you. It's not the outline. The outline is confusing. My outline. Because uh, I wrestle with this stuff so much. But three things I can say about this chapter. You're saved by grace, not race. Two, you're saved by From God's mercy, not your merit. God's mercy, not your merit. And thirdly, salvation is according to God's purpose, not man's plan. Man did not invent how to be saved. It's God's purpose that saves anyone. If anyone lands in heaven, guess whose fault it will be? God's. Is that a little hard on you? I didn't hear much out there, but I'm going to inform you. It won't be because of you. And I know it's hard on you because you're an American and you get to vote. (laughs) And nothing happens unless you voted in. Well, God said, I've got all the votes and I can do it. I'm not running for office. I've had the job of God for a long time. And I'm going to keep it. And I'm going to run the universe and everything I've made according to my purpose And that is very hard on autocratic, humanistic, self-centered people that think we're in charge of so much. How much are we really in charge? Did you pick your race? Did you pick your ethnicity? Did you pick your gender? Did you pick your IQ that some still question? I love the Will Rogers statement that says that when all the Okies came to California, the IQ of both states went up 20%. So... um, you can pray over that it's deep it's deep Uh, but let's now after he says I've chosen different ways in history and this is the response I expect to hear from you verse 14 what then shall we say is God unjust what do you mean unjust is God unjust to pick one and not another that's the tension If God picks one, he's got to pick all. That's the way I see it. Is God unjust to pick Jacob and not Esau? Is God unjust to pick uh, Isaac and not Ishmael? Is God unjust in his right to choose? No, and in the Greek it's strong, absolutely not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raise you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. And he hardens whom he wants to harden. Here's the issue he's saying. God is free to show mercy to whomever he will. He is under no moral obligation to show mercy to anyone. Now, You've all studied the book of Romans thoroughly, haven't you? Hearing me, you've got it memorized. You're sick of the book. You're sick of it if you, don't, if you don't understand it. He has said for three chapters in Romans 1, his first thesis is, the whole human race is under the sentence of divine wrath, Romans 1, 18. He's gonna prove that as a lawyer, let me tell you why he's guilty. He names 30, over 33 sins in chapter 1. He says, God has given up the human race to its vile affections, to its idolatry, to its rejection. God's judgment for rejection from sinners is, I reject you, I give you up to your choice. Romans 1. Chapter 2, the Jewish problem. Seven reasons God can judge them. Seven standards of judgment, and he goes right through it. Chapter 3, he lists 14 counts of guilty. None righteous, no, not one. They've all gone astray. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Their mouths are full of the venom of asps. And he goes on and on. Therefore, we conclude that all are guilty before God, Romans 3.20, that every mouth might be zipped up in the presence of God. Say, guilty as accused, for all have sinned past tense with present results and remain under the judgment of God Outside of Christ, we were all candidates for divine judgment. We were children of wrath, Ephesians 2, 3. According to John 3:36, unbelief, we were abiding beneath the wrath of God as unbelievers. At any moment, God could have let us go to hell because we were there outside of Christ. We were children uh, under the wrath of God. It never fell on us completely. But we were outside of Christ. So, God is dealing with a race of rebels, a race that rejected him, a race that doesn't want him, a race that ate the fruit in the garden, and God said, I owe you what I promised death. That's what I owe you to be just. God owes justice to everybody, He owes mercy to no one. Get that principle. He owes justice to everybody. Everybody has got to get justice or God violates his character. He owes mercy to no one. Do you get that? Why? Because God is not dealing with a race of nice people. In his view, he's dealing with a race that rebelled against him, a race that will not obey him, a race that's gone in its own way, and he spent three chapters in Romans laying that foundation. Man is condemned before God. God is dealing with sinners and rebels. Now watch this. Here's the bigger problem. How does God maintain being just to get a sinner into heaven? How can God maintain his just character and let the guilty go free? That's the bigger problem. And he explains that in Romans three, that the only way God could be just in declaring you to be just before him was he had to put his only son to death on the cross for you, and the death of Christ was as much for God the Father as it was for you because Christ protected God's character of justice or righteousness. God maintains, how is that? I am right to myself, because I said I would sentence the one that rebels, I would give death to the one that sins. Well, how could you give us heaven then? I will give my son in their place, bear their punishment, thus I keep my word, I judge sin, I execute death on the sin bearer, so the penalty has been carried out, I am free now to give a gift because the debt's been paid for the sinner and I can give you the gift and still remain just. Do you understand that? That's the argument of Romans 3. Uh, That's the argument of Romans 3. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. God made the second person of the Godhead a true sin bearer for us because we were not nice people in his sight. We were guilty sinners. Now, here's the next thing. Now, I watch, this is the rub. But now that God is just to save whomever he will, who will he save? Well, he says it will require Mercy. And I just want to, don't always do this. I want you to look at a great passage just to see this in Titus, Titus chapter 3, what he says. Turn there, it's a few streets over to the right. Okay, Titus 3, verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. God saved us by his mercy. Now, what he's saying here, and this is the rub, I will have mercy on whom I want to have mercy. Nobody dictates to me who gets it. Nobody merits it. Nobody uh, counsels me about it. That is my free prerogative as God. Then he goes on to illustrate it. Let me give you an example, Israel. I had mercy on you and I had mercy on Moses, but I decided to harden Pharaoh's heart. How can that be? What do you accomplish through that? He says, I'm going to display my power even in men and women who never put faith in me. I'll still get glory. I want to display my power. I want to display how great a God I am. And let me give you Pharaoh. Now, uh, have, are any of you reading through the Bible? Anybody in the book of Exodus? Have you read it lately? You read from Exodus four through chapter 12 of the 10 plagues. You know, now let's, let's see this. D- did God know that Pharaoh would not ever give up? Think so? Why did he give him 10 opportunities? And he's patient. He's going to say he's patient with people who don't believe. Ten times, he could have told Pharaoh right up front. He says, by the way, Pharaoh, let my people go. And I going to have Moses put out his rod and I'm going to fry you. Didn't. He says, small plagues that keep growing in intensity. And Pharaoh says, it's going to cost you your firstborn son. Why don't you let them go when the frogs come? Why don't you give up at the gnats? Give up when the Nile turns into blood. Just, just let them go. If you'll let them go, you're okay. I'm going to spare Egypt, any more plagues, and I'm going to spare your life, Pharaoh. All you've got to do is let these people go. Ten times God appeals to him. And you see in the record, there were times that Pharaoh hardened his heart, fewer times than God hardened his And the hardening is, I'm going to leave you in your stubbornness. I'm going to leave you in your stubborn disposition to choose against me. I'm going to harden you so that your decision, you won't reverse. You're hardened in your opinion. You're calloused in it. You won't reverse. No matter how much pain, no matter how many hailstorms come, no matter how many appeals, you are stubbornly going to reject my appeal to you. And I'm going to decide to just harden you and let you do what your stubborn heart wants to do. When you read in Revelation 14 through 16, what's an amazing thing, when the plagues are being poured out on the earth, over and over it says, and men curse God and refuse to repent. Curse God, refuse to repent. You know what I think might be the most alarming thing about the thought of hell? Hell is hell is a place of non-repentance. No one ever changes their mind. You want proof of that? Revelation 20, Satan is bound a thousand years in the great abyss. One thousand years. If you had a one thousand year prison sentence, don't you think you'd want to change your mind about the way you were sinning against the government? And a thousand years, he's uncorrected, He goes right out and he leads another rebellion because man and demons are so stubborn in their rebellion toward God that bring plagues, bring pain, bring suffering, bring hell. I will never change my mind. I don't want to be here, but I'm not going to change the reason I'm here. I still don't like you, God. I still am stubbornly opposed to you. It's an amazing Indictment of the stubbornness of the human will. But he says, I choose to have mercy on whom I will. And when I showed Moses my glory, I passed before him. And one of the manifestations of who I was as the God of Israel. I'm a God of mercy that spares people what they deserve and a God of compassion. But I must say this, I am in charge of who I show it to. Nobody makes me be merciful. It's my choice. Do you like that man? No, I don't want that kind of God. Well, he thought you would object, so he raises another question. Verse 19, one of you will say to me, well, if that's the way it is, then why does God still blame us? For he who resists, for who resists his will? If God's got his choices, uh, we might as well just go and sin. Everything's fixed. Everything's fatalistic. Uh, I can't change anything anyway. It's your fault, God. It's your fault that I'm like I am because you created me to sin. No, I didn't. I've never tempted anyone to sin. I'm not the origin of sin. I've only permitted you to sin, but I am not the creator of sin.
0: That'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Truth for Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Our series is called Israel's Past, Present, and Future, taken from chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Romans. It is available if you ask for it by name. Just ask for Israel's past, present, and future, and we'll send it out to you for a gift of $15 or more. And this is an eight-CD set, by the way. If you would like the entire 47 sermons out of the Book of Romans, that is available for a gift of $100 or more. And again, all of these gifts are tax deductible, and they go right back to the radio broadcast. If you would like to be a TFT sustainer, we would love to hear from you. You see, it's through your gifts and donations that we're allowed to continue the ministry here on KFAX. And as a TFT sustainer, no matter the size of your gift, and nothing is too small or too big, we'll send you a quarterly newsletter, a a once-a-year special gift. You'll also have access to Take a Break with Pastor Phil, the weekly video devotional, Call us for more information and all of the details, 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. You can also find out more about us at valleybible.org or write 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. You're welcome to join us for worship as well. We meet at 9 and 11 here at Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Directions and information can be found on our website, valleybible.org, or again, give us a call, 855-833-9864. We do thank you for joining us today and look forward to seeing you next time we get together for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard.